0: I am afraid that I have much news, and most of it is terrible. Welcome to The Mind Killer, the Rationalist brain on politics. As always, I'm Wesley Fenza. Not as always, I am not Inyash Brodsky, I am David. And with us today, we have
1: Gray. That's right. This is, I think, my third time on here.
0: Gray, who are you? Back.
1: Um, I'm a... Uh discorder who listens to the bayesian conspiracy podcast and irl friend of all three hosts of this one and fellow podcaster yes i also run a podcast called uncultured swine soon to be renamed soon to be renamed cultured swine because we stopped discussing the culture series um we totally aped matt freeman's one person has read it and one hasn't format for reading a big work piecemeal and uh, we finished with the culture books recently or we will have finished with them shortly after this goes live yeah, they record like months in advance. It's really weird. Well, it's the episodes are like two hours long, and I'm kind of OCD about editing. Ah, just like me, as all our listeners know, perfect, perfect editing all the time. Yeah, that's that's not it. I go through and like I literally try to remove every inhalation that you can hear on the track.
0: Alright, so yes, Gray's filling in for Eniash today because he's in Hawaii, like an a-hole. But you, listeners, benefit because now you get to have Gray on the podcast. Alright, so we're going to kick it off with some follow-ups from our previous episode. So remember last episode when we had that breaking news? And we were like, oh my god, breaking news, they're going to do a vote on the filibuster on the 17th, which is the day we're recording. Um, that's today. And the Senate is, uh, has failed to vote on the filibuster. Apparently they were just lying about that. Uh, they claim they're going to do it tomorrow, maybe, but uh, no longer holding my breath. Congress lying about things and being super disappointing? not chuck schumer
1: well i don't think in this political climate that the democrats actually want the filibuster gone i think that as long as the filibuster exists they can blame its existence for the fact that they can't marshal the votes for their own po- to get their a simple majority for their own policies uh, that's roxanne who is uh having
0: opinions about your opi- your uh, your take by the way uh um, roxy but i think no i don't think that's true I think that's I think that's what the Republicans want because all their policies are really unpopular. But I think the Democrats are sincere that the the majority of them want to get rid of the filibuster, but there's a, uh, you know, the usual two holdouts.
2: I think some of them are sincere, but I would definitely believe the more cynical take that the uh um the, party the leadership ups, absolutely are not. Yeah, I I would definitely believe that they want to keep it as uh, horse they can beat for um uh, fundraising purposes.
0: I guess I feel like it would be more useful for f- raising funds and getting votes if they like actually did things. I mean, they're always promising to do things. I mean I-, I feel like if they did them, then that might be better for them. but uh yeah, you got your your mansion and your cinema who've both since since they made that announcement were like, no, we don't want to change the filibuster. Um, And we're senators, so we're not going to. So aside from that, we have a follow-up on the uh, Omicron Lab League story that we covered last episode, where I actually got some smart people to explain to me what synonymous and non-synonymous mutations are. And so what they are is they refer to which amino acids in the DNA chain a mutation effects. Um, and synonymous mutations don't really do anything. So, natural selection won't select for them. And that's useful because that means they're effectively random. So you can tell roughly how many generations a certain variant's gone through by how many synonymous mutations there are. The more synonymous mutations, the more generations, the older the uh, virus strain. Now, we should expect the ratio of synonymous and non-synonymous mutations to be roughly the same across all variants, uh, since there's no reason the rate of developing useful mutations should be accelerating versus developing useless mutations. So, like, if Delta was able to develop 10 synonymous mutations and got five synonymous ones, uh, you'd have, like, a two-to-one ratio there, and then... If you found a variant later that had 100 non-synonymous mutations, it should have about 50 synonymous ones. So the ratio should be roughly the same. Um, Now, we're not seeing that with Omicron. It has, um, it only has one, if I was reading the graphs right, uh, synonymous mutation and has over 30 non-synonymous ones. Uh,
2: It has no, it has no non-synonymous mutations.
0: The uh, graph is indexed from zero. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, I guess uh, I must have been reading the graph wrong. Okay. So what that s- shows, this is how we know that it's not um, descended from Delta, that it's from, or a strain...
1: from any of the other stuff floating around. Right. That it's like from what was it, December twenty twenty? Uh, yeah. June. It,
2: it's June twenty twenty.
1: Okay. It's been well over a year since the thing that it descended from was spotted in the wild.
0: Yeah. Um. So that suggests that um, either. It was lab grown, or it. Um, the other, the other alternative explanation, which is what the um, the the paper authors that graph came from suggest, is that uh, it it incubated in mice. Um, that seems that seems pretty questionable. Now, I was not convinced. By this argument about non-synonymous mutations, just because there are a whole bunch of variants, apparently, which had zero uh, synonymous mutations and were able to develop like, you know, over 10 um, non-synonymous mutations without developing a single uh, synonymous one. So I feel like if the ratios, if you're dealing with ratios that are like involving numbers like one and zero, then ratios aren't that useful. A predictive tool, um, but I think what is what is convincing is you just look at the sheer number of mutations, which is over thirty, whereas other variants, I think the the top one had less than fifteen.
1: Yeah, that's ridiculous. Who ever heard of sa- of increased sample size making a test more powerful?
2: Yeah, uh, so the the argument I find really convincing, and the explainer I linked in last episode does go through all of these. So again, I would encourage you to read that if you haven't. Uh, and still have questions, isn't either the ratio of synonymous to non-synonymous mutations, nor is it the sheer number of mutations. It's that all of the synonymous mutations are both beneficial to the virus, and um, they're specifically the sorts of beneficial things that some idiot virologist trying to get a publication might think was a good idea to shove into a virus, like... Immunity to, um, the monoclonal antibodies, immunity to, um, or rather escape from vaccine immunity, uh, increased contagion, that sort of thing. Uh, Species hopping
1: to a super common lab animal.
2: Yes. Um. Now,
1: do you know then if in, um, if other variants
0: of concern, if they've had non-beneficial mutations sort of mixed in with the beneficial ones?
2: mm it's kind of hard to say because um you uh um like obviously the more non-beneficial mutations a virus has the more likely it is to just have virus cancer and die instead of becoming a, a variant of concern uh so that's not a knockdown drag out argument but um i think like all three of those arguments, the number of mutations, the ratios, the beneficialness of the mutations, and so on, they're kind of a Swiss cheese model of argument where um, each of them individually has holes, but taking them all together, a lot of the strong parts of other arguments cover up the weaknesses of, uh, of the other arguments. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Well, I certainly think lab leak is um, the most likely explanation here. I still don't understand it quite well enough to give a particularly high probability. But uh, other smart people seem to think that it's uh, very unlikely that this came from anything but a lab. So that's where I'm at on that.
1: Well, I'm uh, I'm not specifically saying that this virus was engineered and deliberately released in order to release the, con- to reduce or, you know, remove the consequences of an earlier accidental viral release. But I am kind of reminded uh, in this story of, uh, well, any number of, sorry, the oldest, the easiest one to come to remember is the old lady who swallowed a fly, followed by a frog, followed by, you know.
0: Yeah. Um and I'm looking at this graph again. I think it does look like it has one synonymous mutation.
1: That sort of well. Yeah, that's against that's the, the backdrop I, of other mutations.
0: I, I'm not sure, but
2: Yeah, I I'm not certain I was remembering it right, but
0: Yeah, um, it's five yeah. of the five of the highlighted dots have zero and Omicron has one. Um but, you know, whatever, take that for what it's worth. Um more, <laughs> more follow-ups. Um so remember that racist uh, Paxlovid policy we talked about? where they were saying, like, oh, but if you're not white, that's a risk factor. Um, so any non-white people can have them, but if you're white, you have to, you know, have a have another risk factor. Um, that was, we were talking about that in terms of, like, somebody's local policy, uh, but it should surprise nobody that that rule actually came from the
1: FDA. Of course not, because, oh. you know, the FDA wasn't awful enough. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> oh, and, alright, last follow-up here, we have some more
0: about Australia, because we're the Dunking on Australia podcast now. Um, so, David, what's going on in Australia?
2: Yeah, so, uh, some tennis guy was denied entry into Australia where some tennis thing is going on. Um, this was because he was unvaccinated, I... I feel like he had a good reason, like some kind of health condition, that the vaccines were at risk of exacerbating or something like that, but I don't remember exactly. Um, uh, The Australian courts overturned the denial of entry, causing many Australia stands to say, See, this proves they're not a police state. Courts don't overrule uh, the executive in police states. And then Australian immigration, at the behest of the prime minister, withdrew the visa. To my knowledge, this caused no one to look at it and say, huh, maybe they are a police state after all. <laughs> because consistency is overrated.
0: Also, I feel like um, different provinces in Australia are doing wildly different things. Because I saw somebody posted a thing that was like, Australia's policy is let a rip. And I'm like, uh, isn't Australia the one keeping the like, COVID camps? So I think it's all just like different provinces are
1: doing the opposite strategies. So, uh, I actually had occasion to discuss this with some Australian friends, and um, part of the reason that this became such a shitstorm is that Western Australia, the state with one of its largest cities, Perth, uh, was still maintaining a strict internal border closure at the time, Uh and had not yet gotten Omicron, and... Because of how long that took, that caused a bunch of normies elsewhere in Australia to think, hey, maybe all of this concentration camp, hukou, internal passport shit was actually a good idea. Oi, And, um, yeah. And, and, like, the, the media and government justifications for the subsequent revocation of the visa were, hey, if we let this unvaccinated person in, it spits on all the Australians who complied with the rules we already made. We must continue enforcing the rules to justify the rules yep i love that i love that policy yeah if you find yourself at the bottom of a hole make sure you keep digging right exactly
0: um i think so i think it was the northern territory which had the like the concentration camps yeah no the ones that aren't concentration camps they're significantly better than concentration camps we covered this last episode
2: yeah, they're just camps where they uh, focus all the people with COVID into the same geographic area.
1: Yeah, and they, they force and you, and you then, to go you know, and you they can't have leave. armed guards that don't let you leave and go out and recover you if you escape. But they give you, you know, decent food and valium because, you know, <laughs> no reasonable person would be stressed under those circumstances.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: Well, now that we've covered
0: all that, on to the new news. Uh the I guess the biggest story This fortnight is that the Supreme Court has overturned Biden's vaccine mandate. Um, This was on a question of whether they should stay a preliminary injunction. So technically not on the merits, but a lot of stuff gets decided this way. And they actually wrote opinions and everything. So they are binding uh, on lower courts. Um, It was 6-3 going exactly the way you'd expect. The conservatives on one side, the liberals on the other. Um, And they held that OSHA can't regulate universal risks. They said OSHA can only regulate risks that are like particular to a workplace. If it's just a risk out there in the world um, that is also at workplaces because it's everywhere, um, OSHA, that's not part of their mandate.
1: I mean that's definitely accurate. I was also super not impressed with Sotomayor's question about uh, how does it make sense for the states to have a power the federal government doesn't. This is someone who's on the Supreme Court. Wow, that's um. Did she really ask that? Yep, she, yeah, she said I don't understand how the fe- how the states can have a power the federal government doesn't. Like that, that that's not the exact words, but that is definitely what she said. I I think that must have been
0: more nuanced than that because she obviously knows. No, so, no Sotomayor it, she, is not a, not a complete idiot.
2: Um. I definitely uh, saw something about this on Reason, and uh, Reason, while not perfectly reliable, is gen- generally reliable. I'll see if I can find the piece, and I'll tell you about the nuances if I can get it.
0: Yeah, I believe she said something like that, but I think she was probably asking about a specific context, like there's some kind of enabling statutes that have similar language or something.
1: the The exact quote... Oh, sorry. I, I don't have the exact wording because they used brackets to establish the context. But the exact quote is: "I'm not sure I understand the distinction why the states would have the power uh, to institute a mandate like OSHA's, but the federal government wouldn't."
0: Yeah, that, I mean, I don't. I don't know what the law is around occupational um, safety, but I don't know that might be a that might be a reasonable
1: thing to ask. Also, one other thing that that bugged me about this whole uh, pr- this whole process that. Uh, to my knowledge, somehow did not, was not a focal point of the trial is that this was done entirely as a regulatory agency action. And there was no effort whatsoever to legislate it because there is unambiguous Supreme court case law that for example, states can institute vaccination mandates, uh, Think Massachusetts uh, got a Supreme Court ruling for that in the first half of the 20th century for smallpox? They absolutely could require everyone to get smallpox vaccinated, but that was done as a law passed by the legislature and signed by the governor. The Biden administration didn't even try to get its vaccine mandate as a law through Congress. They just told OSHA to do it, and this is part of a trend of uh, serious disregard for—I don't want to say overall rule of law—but the process is important. We and Especially in a government of limited powers, it is really important to It is important to have a good process, but it's also important to stick to it to at least some extent, even when it sucks. And there was no effort whatsoever to do that.
0: Well, this is exactly why I want to get rid of the filibuster, and honestly, the Senate. Um, the whole reason that things like that are done through executive action um, and overturned through the courts without involving the legislature at all. It's because the legislature is completely paralyzed by the 18,000 veto points that exist and can't do anything. Um, And the government's going to find a way to to do things. It's going to happen. So now they do them through the much shittier means of executive action and uh, court action because Congress has just abdicated its responsibility for everything by refusing to change any of their rules so that they can actually pass laws.
1: Well, there are also things they do that aren't even matters of Congress's rules sucking. They're a matter of Congress's leadership being shit. Well, that's, like Nancy that's Pelosi hasn't so allowed af- an intro the introduction of an amendment of an amendment to a bill on the floor since she became speaker. Not a single time. Um, the ha- like part how legislative leadership are not supposed to dictate what goes through a legislature. They're supposed to run the process. Uh, And the one of the reasons Congress is so paralyzed is that the leadership in particularly uh, like this, the leadership we have right now insists on trying to do legislation top down, which is not how this is supposed to work.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, and the the whole reason the rules won't change is just because, you know, the the representatives don't want to change them. So it's all their fault. No question
1: well it's not like the speaker would allow a bill to come to the floor that stripped the speaker of 90 percent of her powers exactly like the even even if there were 95 percent support in congress nobody has the ability to force it through over her head i mean they could elect a different speaker point has that ever has, has that ever happened midterm has has a party ever removed
0: a speaker i don't think so i think it'd be very embarrassing uh, but they certainly do it at
1: you know two-year intervals Point. So I guess we can say that based on the fact that she's been speaker more than once, uh, everyone is OK with the status quo.
0: Yeah, there have been there have been several efforts to oust her as speaker, um, most notably in
1: 2016, I believe, or um, not. I thought been... 2016 was when she stopped being speaker because yeah, the she Democrats was... lost the House.
0: That's right. No, they got it back in 2018. I think that was when everyone was like, no, let's get a different speaker. And uh, Pelosi fought them all off. Uh, but yeah, that's she's the speaker because that's what the majority of the Democrats in the House want. Um, so that's life. They suck. Yep. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, on the actual opinion, uh, I feel like, uh, uh, as usual here, the majority opinion sucks, and the the um, there's a concurrence by Gorsuch. And a um, dissent by, I, I don't remember, one of the liberals wrote it. But they're actually, like, much more coherent opinions than the majority opinion. Because it's all, as as it always is these days, it's like Roberts sitting in the middle between everyone being like, okay, well, here's the, like, crazy dumb rule that I'm going to come up with. Um, which is that there's a, you know, you have to decide, is this a hazard of daily life or a workplace? Um, where Gorsuch... Uh, wrote an opinion that thomas and alito shared saying that not only is is it do they agree with the uh the majority opinion but also that it fails what's called the major questions test which is a supreme court doctrine that was established in you know 100 years ago that if well i guess it wasn't 100 years ago it didn't even have all this agency bullshit then but it was uh, probably like 50 years ago that if Congress wants to give an agency an authority to settle a question of major political economic significance, they have to be really clear about that. And the OSHA statute just says, well, they have the ability to um, regulate toxic substances, uh, which, you know, if they wanted OSHA to be able to to mandate COVID-19 vaccines, you know, they've passed several COVID-19 bills. They could have put that in there. And the fact that they didn't show suggest that this was not uh, something that would, they were intended to be able to do, uh, which I think is actually a pretty good point. I like that opinion uh, much more than the
1: majority opinion. That is uncharacteristically reasonable from the Supreme Court, i got to say. Yes, I, I would prefer that as well.
0: Well, you say uncharacteristically because those are the kind of things that never make it
1: into majority opinions. So h- how does... That that's actually a valid question. So here we have a majority opinion and a concurrence with equal numbers of signatories. No, um all the all the um the signatories of the concurrence also signed on to the majority opinion. Oh crap. Well never mind. That yeah. I, Okay, the way that, it, that that is less ambiguous then.
0: The way it works if they don't do that is you just get a plurality opinion. Um and then the elements that are common <laughs> to like Two of the three uh, are are what becomes binding law. Okay, but, but some an, lawyers hate that.
1: Yeah, that that was an interesting thing uh, in a gun rights case about uh, I think of the the McDonald case. Uh, yeah, it was the one that incorporated the Second Amendment against the states, um, because there were separate arguments that the uh, that the Second Amendment should be incorporated under the privileges and immunities clause uh, mm-hmm. and the uh, equal protection or substantive due process and uh the majority opinion like the it was a 5-4 decision that ruled in favor of the plaintiff and applied the second amendment against the states but only four justices deemed to apply it under the uh substantive due process clause and only one clarence thomas uh i was deemed gonna to say i'm
0: i'm sure i can tell you who it was
1: because it's and, always and thomas clarence thomas uh wrote to incorporate it under the privileges and immunities clause which is uh was gutted in the late 19th century and kind of irrelevant to modern jurisprudence, though it absolutely shouldn't be. Right? Which is so stupid.
2: For more on the privileges and immunities clause and why that's different from the privileges and immunities clause and why you should care about both, see, I want to say season two of uh, Deep Dive with the Institute for Justice. Continue.
1: I will have to listen to that. So, what you ended up with in that case was a really odd situation where... Uh, both of the plaintiffs' arguments for incorporation were rejected by a majority of the court, but the majority still voted to incorporate. Yeah. Uh, It's a plurality opinion. They're the worst. That might explain why it's been cited so little in subsequent litigation. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I bet. Um, So, on the vaccine mandate, at the same time that they overturned that one, um, they upheld the vaccine mandate on government-funded medical facilities, which was done through Health and Human Services. Uh, this was a 5-4 decision with uh, it was the liberals plus um, Kavanaugh and Roberts, which is every 5-4 decision.
1: And I was going to. Well, no, I, I figured Gorsuch would join on that. That's weird. No,
0: no. Gorsuch is like the textualist
1: guy. Yeah, but that that's led to some like that led to some embarrassment for Trump as well. I know David's talked about this. Yeah. Um, Gorsuch takes his job seriously, which is not what Donald Trump nominated him to do. That's yeah. True. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, but Gorsuch, Gorsuch, I think, was right. Yeah, here.
2: no, Gorsuch wasn't on the uh, dissenting side of that because he's a conservative hack. He was on the dissenting side of that because it's the Supreme Court saying the HSS can do a thing and Gorsuch doesn't what? probably doesn't think the HSS should exist. Yeah, probably. that
1: tracks.
0: But yeah, I think Gorsuch is pretty consistently against expansions of federal power that don't have, you know, specific enabling legislation or some kind of constitutional provision um so it makes sense to me why he would be on the uh this is illegal side of both of these
1: i guess but government the government can impose regulations on what's done at facilities actively accepting government money is uh well while it has admittedly led to uh government money going everywhere so that they can regulate more stuff and that's bad uh this doesn't seem like such a that, that's not such a ridiculous thing.
2: Yeah, it's not exactly a hot take, constitutionally speaking.
1: Yeah, the enabling legislation just says they have authority
0: to make health and safety rules, which is, uh, you know, ridiculously broad. Um, so, you know, they chose not to uh, revisit the non-delegation doctrine with this one, but we can hope for the future. Um, there, there was also a second um, dissent, which actually made a much better point, which is that to make these kinds of rules, there's a procedure you have to go through. And you can only deviate from that procedure in the
1: case of a uh, genuine emergency. And something that's been going on for two years probably doesn't count.
0: Well, and also that HHS didn't treat this as an emergency, you know, in typical bureaucratic fashion. The, the uh, mandate was announced in September, but wasn't even drawn up until november and not implemented until i think january or december so it was like okay you guys didn't seem to be acting like this needed all you know all necessary speed um so you can't now claim it was a super emergency and delaying it for 30 to 60 days to get for a public comment period would have been you know unacceptably long that's
1: like vogon level civil civil service bullshit yeah
0: (laughs) yeah so that that again, that was the one that I thought made the best points. Fair, okay, yeah. I'm I'm less
1: I'm less confused about all that than I was then.
0: Yeah, but I think this does come down to a lot of ideology because both of these, you know, the the legislation authorizing OSHA to do to mandate workplace safety, I think, is is just as broad as the authority given to HHS to mandate health and safety. Um, so I think, you know, it just comes down to your ideology about like, oh, should these be things be read broadly or narrowly? Um, so I think that's why it came out the way it did. Fair enough. Minor white pill. <laughs> I'd probably be happy with either result as long as it had, a you know, good, um, well-reasoned and well-supported opinion. Um, I read through both of these and I can't say that uh, I-, I-, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it that. I think these were kind of uh, all over the place and not that coherent, which bothers me as an attorney because I'm the kind of, I have to cite
1: these things sometimes. That's, that is a good reason to hate it.
0: (laughs) But regardless, that's what happened. Uh, All right. Any more comments on the Supreme Court and vaccine mandates? Nope. Nope. Okay. All right, David, you have a story for us about rapid tests.
2: The next two stories are just, Outright cribbed from uh, Svi Moskowitz's COVID posts. So if you're not reading those and you are listening to us. Fix that. Yes. What what, what Greg just said. Do better, people. Um, Yeah, so the first piece is for home tests for COVID. uh, Throat swabs are much more effective than nose swabs. Uh, For diagnosticity, they will uh, show positive results earlier than um nose swabs and it'll be more in line with the um uh with the period of time where you are actually contagious uh which again home tests are much better for that than pcr tests
0: i don't like how people have been wording this because they always say throat swabs are better and when i first heard that It sounded to me like certain tests had throat swabs and certain tests have nose swabs. That is not the case. What we are saying is buy the test that has the nose swab in it and stick it down your damn throat.
2: Yes, and I was about to uh make that clear because a lot of people have been saying, "Oh no, you shouldn't do this." Yes, it is better for everything that tests are good for, but the FDA only tested these certain tests for nose swabs and not throat swabs. So if you uh, um so if you swab your throat with the nose swab test, even though it's just the same swab regardless, then you'll be breaking the rules. And, and, and that's bad
0: Yeah, You can also just do both if you don't mind uh, You know having a little saliva up your nose
2: Or mucus down your throat if
0: See you I was go not going to suggest
1: that one That's much worse What are you talking about mucus down your throat happens all the time But it goes through your mouth This way gross I mean if you're swabbing your throat properly It never contacts anything further forward than the glottis That's
0: true it's Further incentive to do it right Yep you won't have to taste it uh, Anyway swab your throat people yep david you have another story for us about how the fda sucks
2: yes so uh this next story is also just crib from zvi uh so this is from the cdc actually uh they are determined to continue allowing americans to not have fun for as long as possible and have recommended that americans and i think this is actually a binding recommendation Uh, not travel or go through quarantine if they travel to or from Canada for vague COVID-related reasons. Um, In terms of, like, the actual amount of COVID there is in Canada, going to Canada is probably safer than staying in America, but the CDC doesn't care because they're kind of dumb.
0: Uh, yeah, it sounds uh, very stupid that... There is absolutely no reason to continue restricting travel. Omicron's here, people. We're not going to keep it out. We were never going to. Um, so just let people travel. It doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. Um, I have one more bit of FDA awfulness that was going to be a troop deployment, but since we've done three news stories about it, I feel like running with the theme. All right, go for it. So Martin Shkreli, uh, the Person, the only person probably ever described as a pharma bro, uh, has been sentenced to seven years for secure in prison for securities fraud. Also, I, the
0: only person ever to hear that one Wu Tang album.
1: Uh, it got seized, and then I think they released the song anyway. Oh, like yeah, it um, it it was civilly forfeited. The album was well, yet another reason to be against civil forfeiture, indeed. Um, so the. The trial, the, the the things at issue in the trial have actually not, have almost nothing to do with what people actually hate him for. Um, basically, he was the suit against him or the the, tr- the charges against him relied on basically running a Ponzi scheme by trying to do this, uh, the various uh, apparently antitrust violating things and then misleading several investors about what was going on. Um, the, the actual antitrust violating stuff is not uh well, because it's a, antitrust is a civil thing and not a criminal thing, not really part of the, tr- the criminal charges against him. But he's gotten seven years instead of the 18 months that his lawyers were trying to get. And he's also been barred for life from ever working for a pharmaceutical company.
2: And uh, just a reminder that the actual reason he's been charged is because he has one of the most smugly punchable faces in the history of smugly punchable faces.
1: <laughs> it, it really is. Um, I, I, th- there is a german word for that kind of face everyone hates him because he jacked up the price of insulin right not insulin uh a dr- pyrimethamine branded daraprim which uh is used to treat in the u.s it's used to treat toxoplasmosis uh which is an opportunistic infection that like Toxo is not something the human immune system has trouble with under normal circumstances. You almost exclusively find it in people who are, um, like, going through cancer treatment and so their immune system's been nuked, or they have late-stage AIDS and their immune system can't do anything. Um, You need serious immunocompromise for toxo to become a clinical problem. And this is the only drug currently approved to treat it. And so what Shkreli did uh, was buy the rights to distribute the only FDA-approved formula—like, the FDA doesn't uh, just approve drugs. You have to get like individual pill formulations approved, even if the active ingredients are identical. So if, uh, if we've got an off patent drug and you sell it uh, with uh, cornstarch and titanium dioxide as the fillers, and I want to make one that uses potato starch and titanium dioxide, I have to actually make a new drug application uh, for that, even though the potato starch is generally recognized as safe and not an active ingredient. So what Shkrelly did was buy the rights to the o- to distribute the only FDA approved formulation of this drug, set up exclusive supply agreements with the companies that manufactured it, and then refused to sell samples of the drug to generic manufacturers so that they could perform so that they would not be able to perform the FDA required bioequivalence testing that you need to do to get a new formulation approved. I love how the moral of this story is that Shkreli's
0: an asshole and not that the FDA is insane.
1: Right the the major black pill and the reason that I'm throwing on that I'm jumping on the FDA hate train here is that literally none of the rules that Shkreli relied on to corner the market have been changed.
0: Of course you not. still
1: have to get approval for individual for changes to inactive ingredients in generic drugs. There still isn't a rule requiring requiring people to sell formulations to generic manufacturers for bioequivalence testing. There still isn't a rule against those exclusive supply agreements and yeah Oh, and you still need to get approved to manufacture individual generic drugs, so even companies that were alri- that already make a lot of generics couldn't just repurpose one of their unused production lines or one of their unprofitable production lines to start making Daraprim.
0: I mean, why bother changing anything? It probably won't happen again,
1: right? Yeah, so Martin Shkreli isn't being convicted for things that have nothing to do with what he actually did wrong. And uh, but I don't think that what he did in Dar- did what did with daraprim reflects badly on him because well all of it relied on legal rules that can easily be changed and have not been so the fault lies with Congress entire and to a lesser extent the FDA.
0: Yeah, if that's the way it's supposed to work, what are you going to do?
2: Yeah, uh, I Martin Shkreli did I, not
1: break any rules with daraprim.
2: I mean, I am a big fan of Menorms. Uh I think that life is complicated enough that you can't hard-code rules against every bad thing. Preach. And, uh, so I am okay giving- putting some of the blame on Skrelly, uh, because, like- I assume for the longest time it was kind of an open secret that this was a thing you could do and people just didn't do it. Um, yeah, the
1: the norm he violated was that he started Turing Pharmaceuticals, later uh, Retrofin, to, uh, specifically to do this with every generic drug they could. This was their business model.
2: Yeah. So that's a majorly douchey thing to do, and I am comfortable saying that there's enough assholery in this whole situation to say both fuck Shkreli with a rake and also
0: FDA Delenda est."
1: I think that's uncontroversial. Fuck Shkreli with a rake, and further, I am of the opinion that the FDA must be destroyed.
0: Who could possibly disagree?
1: All right, moving on uh, to some other questionable government
0: things. The leader of the Oath Keepers and ten others have been charged with seditious conspiracy, which is a big boy law. Um, One of the only ones used in anything having to do with January 6th. Um, They were specifically charged, uh, in connection with the January 6th attacks, for um, doing a lot of the planning and obviously having this be a premeditated thing and kind of being being super serious about it in a way that most of the uh, people were not um the uh, i'm i'm sort of torn about this because st- these guys sounded pretty serious like they specifically recruited ex-military and ex-law enforcement they drew up plans they had what they're called quick reaction forces stationed around
1: with weapons and reserves and trucks Um, so I'll I'll say on the recruiting of ex-military and law enforcement, um, the Oath Keepers have existed since the early Obama administration, as far as I know, and that's always been their shtick. The oath is, like, the military and law enforcement uh, oath against uh, enemies of the Constitution, foreign and domestic. Um, so that's always been their shtick. It's not unusual to this incident.
0: Yeah. No, that, that wasn't, uh, was not, they weren't like, let's go recruit people to invade the Capitol. That's just, yeah, what they do. Um... They, they were urging, and I quote, a massively bloody revolution and attempt, and <laughs> this is my favorite detail, they attempted to evade uh, detection by instead of like writing things out in text or on, on uh, just writing them on paper, they wrote them on paper using cursive writing and uh, urged everyone to do the same thing because I, I think they, uh, the text recognition programs have trouble detecting cursive.
1: At least those, yeah, those trained on English text uh, OCR would almost certainly have a big problem.
0: So they were writing things in cursive, taking pictures of them, and sending them to each other.
2: Yep, good good way to fox the uh, state-of-the-art <laughs> text recognition software from 2018.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> but also, that's like some Dunning, that's, do you guys know the the case that led to the actual, uh, to the, the coining of the Dunning-Kruger effect? I mean, I know the study. So but the there was a case that provoked them to study it um which was this guy who had heard that lemon juice was used as invisible ink and when he robbed a bank uh he covered his face in lemon juice including getting it in his eyes to make his face oh invisible and didn't understand how that hadn't worked <laughs> uh... And this feels like it's in that same league the uh especially the cursive bit I mean it's probably
0: true that that the you know if a bot is scanning all their, uh, their photos looking for text, it's going to have a harder time detecting the cursive. Uh, it's just
1: not, you know, you still shouldn't write down your crimes. Yes. And um, it, it's really hard, like e- even ignoring the content, um, when you make a policy like that, it's really hard to argue that you uh, weren't up to something nefarious yeah. because something, something, the wicked flee where no man pursueth. Yeah.
0: So um, on the one hand, I'm like, these guys do actually seem like the worst of all the people. That invaded the capital like these seem like the people who were actually trying to do a revolution not just like kind of sightseeing and doing some civil disobedience um i am happy with the sort of law enforcement response to these people which is mostly like slaps on the wrist you know they made a point to prosecute everyone they could but mostly just giving them fines a little probation nothing serious um so i think these guys probably deserve some more serious charges On the other hand, seditious conspiracy is a thing that is not used uh, almost ever for a really good reason. Um, Probably because the law is unconstitutional. It's uh, it's really, really broad. And it... The, so the statute reads, If two or more persons conspire to overthrow, put down, or destroy by, destroy by force the government of the United States, or to levy war against them, or to oppose by force the authority thereof, or by force to prevent, hinder, or delay the execution of any law of the United States, or by force to seize, take, or possess any property of the United States contrary to the authority they, uh, thereof, they shall each be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. Um... So if if you're hearing that and thinking wow this applies to much a lot of behavior that we've witnessed over the past couple years, you're not wrong.
2: Yeah, some of my best friends have um I mean not by force, but definitely by guile have sought to prevent, hinder or delay the execution of laws of the United States. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, that's a patriotic duty. Um so it's like I do think
0: th- these guys being charged this actually is Within the spirit of the law, but um, I, if I were the government, I would not be trying to prosecute people under this because I feel like it's going to get tossed out, especially with this Supreme Court.
1: So I'm reading the uh, quickly the article that you actually linked for that, and I was going to, I wanted to to chime in that the phrase "massively bloody revolution" sounds like something that would only be said by an FBI informant uh, close to this trying to create. Uh, justification for the prosecution like things you could wave at the jury and scream about it does sound um, like that but so and the problem it is with that theory is that it would imply that rhodes Stuart rhodes the head of the oath keepers has always been an fbi informant or that the oath keepers are uh compromised by virtue of his leading them and he became an after he became an informant at some later time
0: yeah the, um, the fdi
1: is not nearly that competent uh, they totally created, well, I am convinced at this point that the entire Michigan governor kidnapping plot was FBI instigated, given both the number oh, yeah. of informants involved and the number of agents who are refusing to testify about their role in the investigation.
0: Oh yeah, we covered that here, and that was, I think we all kind of agreed that that was probably the most likely explanation.
1: Yeah, but, um, given, well, the, the FBI absolutely can compromise people, and I strongly doubt just... Even without having to invoke three felonies a day stuff, um, what I know about Stuart Rhodes suggests that there's no way they couldn't get something on him. So I'm not ruling out the possibility that the Oath Keepers are basically FBI controlled at this point and were at the time of January 6th.
0: I think that's pretty silly. They've been I mean, they've been an organization for a long time.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm not saying that they always were, but it seems implausible at this point that they aren't to me. Like I said, they could have compromised him at any time. It seems unlikely that they couldn't get some leverage on him because they can get leverage on basically anyone if they look long enough.
0: Yeah, but this is the guy who's charged. Like, if Point. he gets a better deal than the rest of them, then I think maybe you have some reason to kind of look askance at that. Um,
1: okay. I feel like... Uh, if I, you're I'll being... figure out the odds on that, but I, I want to make a bet on this. We'll we'll throw it in the bets channel later. Okay.
0: Yeah, I feel like if you're a cooperating witness but also you're getting charged with, you know, seditious conspiracy, then something has gone wrong in that deal. That is a level of incompetence I could believe from the Department of Justice. Fair enough. Um, My (laughs) all the reports I've heard of of FBI infiltrators um, basically just roll up and are like, hey, there, fellow kids want to do commit some crimes.
1: Oh, yeah, like the the big uh, January 6th post rally over the summer where everyone present was clearly with the Bureau. (laughs) Yes,
0: that one. Um, My friend, I had a friend who used to be involved in um,
1: the Occupy movement, and they said they got those guys all the time. They'd be like, hey, Um, want
0: to go destroy some property? Yeah, let's do it.
1: Oh, God, I I need to find a tweet that I, uh, it's, uh, she'll be coming around the mountain, but reworked about federal agents. I think, David, you've seen it uh yes it's I'll, I'll very find good. it so I can put it in the show notes. So yeah, I feel
0: like actually what I hope for in this case is that this statute gets overturned because it's a bad statute it we shouldn't have that
1: Yes it's it's not quite as broad as anti-Soviet behavior but it's getting there and I'm really not
0: at all uh, confident in the deterrence effect of you know our criminal justice system so I'm not that uh... Like it's not that important to me that these guys get what's coming to them, you know?
1: Yeah, it's the the amount of I hate using this phrase, but I'm sure that they would find it appropriate. Uh, the amount of emotional labor invested in <laughs> getting uh, catharsis for January for January sixth, which you know, not nearly as bad as they insist on pretending, um, but the the effort invested in getting revenge for it uh, shows what that this is not just about punishing the offenses involved.
0: Well, alright, so January 6th, I do think there is an argument to be made that it was quite bad. And if we don't punish it, like, pretty severely now, um, people are going to do more of this shit in the future. And we're just really lucky that this one was so ham-fisted that nothing really happened. But it came, like, pretty close to getting some people killed. Um, and if they don't, I think if they don't punish this, then it's kind of opening the door for more of this shit in the future.
1: Oh yes, but the there's been some gross overcharging for one, and the pre-trial conditions a lot of the people involved have been subjected to are preposterous. Oh uh, like, well, I- it's being treated much more seriously by with much less justification since, uh, especially for people with no prior records. For more on that, see my troop deployment from
2: like six or seven weeks ago, probably.
1: Oh, then okay. So this this is not totally controversial, but yeah, no. I, I don't. I agree with you, Wes, that it's bad, but um, considering a couple of weird things about the event, I don't think that it's important to throw the book uh, hard enough to crush Skull at everyone involved.
0: Yeah, and like I said before, I don't think they have been. Uh, most of the charges on this have been, you know, pretty pretty light uh, for... Th- you know, considering what actually happened, what they could have been charged with. Uh, I feel like the Justice Department has exercised a fair amount of, a fair bit of restraint. Um, but
1: I've, I'm i curious as to think why you, why you disagree. So I don't know all of the... Well, part of it is I'm generally opposed to plea bargains, like starting with the worst possible charges so you can bargain down to misdemeanors rubs me the wrong way on a whole bunch of levels. Oh, yeah, um, it's horrible.
0: Our whole system's corrupt.
1: Yes, they're... Granted, a lot of the charges that people end up getting convicted on have actually been pretty mild. But I'm, th- like, I can think of several examples of stuff like that going down to misdemeanors, which I think is how it should be treated. But I'm not okay with opening indictment with a hundred years worth of felonies and then ending up with six months worth of misdemeanors as the final charges. Yeah, that's and fair. a lot of these people have already been held long enough that they'll be getting off on that they've served pretrial detention longer than the sentence they could get.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, I think almost, I, I, I think 90% of them haven't gotten any kind of jail sentence at all.
1: Yeah, and, and I can't remember a lot of actual prison sentences anyway. Like, most yeah. of these people would probably go minimum security just because they're getting a few months, if even that. But there, there's, there are other things wrong procedurally here. Yeah.
0: All right. All right. Well, moving on. I had one other thing I was going to bring up. It doesn't matter. It's not important, but it's just funny. Um, that the Golden Globes were canceled, um, ostensibly because somebody looked at them or like, wow, is like all, this is all white people. And hold on a second. Who actually cares what these people think about who did best in the movies? Which I just, I, you know, it's like an example of, uh, it's like a real life emperor's new clothes thing.
1: I mean, I feel this way about the Academy Awards as well, especially oh, yeah. considering, um, how the membership, how the people voting on the awards end up get being able to do that.
0: Yeah, but at least the Academy Awards are people in the movie industry. These are like, you know, they're, the, the people who win the awards, these are their peers. With the Golden Globes, it was just this like random group of 100 people that have some connection. Uh, the Hollywood Foreign Press, it was called. And they like, the, the, they started the, the Golden Globes as being like, a way to create Oscar buzz if you win a golden globe and so suddenly people started caring and then this year they were like wait do we have to care? Oh we don't. Okay, cool. Uh I'm I expect that they'll like rehab their image and add some non-white people and put out a big apology and then next year they'll be back, but I hope not. I hope it's just it's just over. That would
1: I would find that just hilarious. Your terms are expe- Your terms are acceptable.jpg. Yeah.
0: All right. So now we're going to move on to happy news. Good news, everyone. Yay. Eniash <laughs> <laughs> uh, isn't here this week, so we only have one happy news story. He's usually our happy news guy. Um, but uh, I found the story that Moderna, you guys remember Moderna, right? They're the ones who saved us all and we should love forever.
1: Yeah, they are man. developing
0: a combination COVID flu and RSV vaccine. Um, so, you know, in future years, when winter's coming around, we can just go get the, uh, the single shot. That'll give us all the vaccines we need for that winter. Uh, they say possibly available by fall 2023 if everything goes right. I'm sure what everything goes right means is the FDA.
2: Yep, that definitely sounds like what that means.
0: <laughs> all right. So, since that's all our happy news, we're going to move on to troop deployments. I'm willing to put wave after wave of men at your disposal. As we all know, politics is the mind killer and arguments are soldiers. So, in that spirit, we ask each of our hosts to send a soldier out onto the battlefield every week. And, as usual, we'll start with David.
2: So, my, um... Troop deployment is regarding the Matt Iglesias piece: failures of nerve and failures of imagination. As I was writing my previous troop deployment, my illustrious co-host Wes added a link to this essay by Madaglacius. Um, this essay is hyperlinked in that it will I be in the show. That will notes. be in the show notes. That did not come across very well, and I need to rethink my writing strategy. <laughs> and. Uh, So, reading this piece throws one of Josh Hall's observed contrasts into stark relief. This is the difference between the failure of nerve and the failure of imagination. That's because Matt's piece goes into one radical extreme on one axis and the other radical extreme on the other. His nerves don't fail, but his imagination is slim to non-existent. Like Hall, he imagines a world of cheap, abundant, clean energy. He too refers to Lewis Strauss's line about energy too cheap to meter, though it's telling that Matt refers to it as a dream, when the context for the full quote is it's not too much to expect that our children will enjoy their home's electricity, uh, electrical energy too cheap to meter, will know of great periodic regional famines in the world only as matters of history, will travel effortlessly over the seas and under them, and through the air with a minimum of danger and at great speeds, and will experience a lifespan far longer than ours, as disease yields and man comes to to understand what causes him to age which is a quote, dream, unquote, rather than a prediction, only because, as this speech was made in 1954, Strauss never imagined that we might decide that the fut- that taking the future by the throat and becoming a full-fledged Kardashev type 1 civilization by the mid-21st century was too much work, and we'd rather run around hashtag canceling each other instead. Matt's piece speculates about the benefits of vertical farming, advanced water purification, supersonic air travel, decarbonization, and nuclear power cargo ships. He refers to this as, quote, using clean energy technology to shatter this barrier and open up incredible new vistas. I agree that's what would happen if Matt's vision were attained, but after reading Josh's book, they are painfully pedestrian. Matt says we could use energy too cheap to meter to decarbonize the air. Joss says that once we have energy too cheap to meter, we might need to keep some coal fires burning just to make sure there's enough atmospheric carbon for the nanofactories in our smartphones to keep us well supplied with nanotubes and synthetic diamond for whatever we might need them for. Matt Iglesias is a useful sort of person to have around. After all, strong nerves and no imagination does describe a lot of people. Maybe even the median voter in some places. I do imagine there are some people who would be charmed by discussions of vertical farming in isolation, who'd be turned off by, quote, whimsical fantasy, unquote, like mentioning vertical farming as a footnote on the way to discussing how mature nanotechnology will let us end run around the whole process of agriculture and let us turn carbon dioxide and nitrate fertilizer directly back into hamburgers, never mind that that the latter is extremely well-established. Uh, is based on extremely well-established scientific principles, and we only need to work out the engineering details, then get government approval for the whole thing. But don't let the political usefulness of people like Matt lead you to making the same mistakes. We can do far better than wide-scale deployment of somewhat cool technology, which was successfully prototyped and developed small-scale back in the 1990s. Uh, One final nit I need to pick, Matt describes the Great Strangulation slash Henry Adams curve flatline as, quote, the energy diet, unquote. Again, I understand what he's doing politically and will grudgingly concede that it's probably useful, but the Great Strangulation has been a diet in the same way that fatally severe but not yet fatal eating disorders are. Furthermore, I consider that the FDA, Delanda asked.
0: All right. Thank you, David. And I will add that due to all of your hectoring, I have read Where's My Flying Car and am suitably depressed.
2: Yep, that
1: happens. (laughs) All right. uh, Next, we're going to go to Gray. Okay. Um, Since I'm incapable of coming on this podcast without a troop deployment about guns, uh, my hobby horse this time around is the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act Act. This is, uh, it's kind of back in the news because there's a lawsuit against New York under it. It's a Bush administration era federal law that, um, how do I, so what the, the least significant thing it did was require that trigger locks be included of some sort be included with every gun. Uh, because of uh, some lawsuits, some product liability lawsuits against gun companies uh, who had not included them and people who had irresponsibly stored their guns unlocked and kids got a hold of them and with the unlocked trigger were able to negligently or accidentally discharge. So that is not a completely stupid rule to have, especially since the locks cost like five to ten dollars. That I'm okay with. Um... The but what else the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act does is strictly delineate uh, what gun manufacturers are liable for uh, in as, when firearms are misused. Basically, it says that if uh, someone takes a nineteen eleven and holds up a liquor store, you don't get to sue Colt uh, if someone gets hurt. And uh, the reason this matters is that uh, when Early in the Bush administration and late in the Clinton administration, it was kind of realized that uh, a lot there was a lot of momentum against gun control, and there were still a lot of policies people would rather uh, see implemented that could not pass legislation. Uh, the federal assault weapons ban, which I'm pretty sure I've talked about before, had just expired, and that was considered to be uh, doom by people who think that way. And it was decided that if they couldn't, as often happens in America, that if they couldn't win this fight legislatively, uh, they would get everything they wanted uh, by basically liabil- precedent set in liability lawsuits. And there was a lot of effort to sue gun manufacturers for things that you know private citizens did with guns after purchasing them that had nothing to do with the guns. Um, and the the protection of lawful commerce and arms act says that no, uh, as a rule, you cannot sue a gun manufacturer for things done with their guns, unless you, uh, unless a couple of negligence conditions are satisfied. Like, uh, you sell to someone, you know, is a prohibited person, or you know that the gun in question is intended for use in a crime, or your gun is actually mechanically defective. And that is the source of the liability in question. Um, All of those things are, you know, perfectly reasonable uh, torts that should exist, but the other ones aren't. And the reason this is back in the news is, uh, that one, uh, the Biden administration has, and it's obviously not a priority because nobody has legislative priorities anymore, but the president, uh, during the primaries attacked Bernie for having voted for this, uh, even though it seems like some of the most reasonable liability law that I've ever heard. And, uh, a couple of extremely online gun control people have been uh, talking about ending it since the state of New York was sued last week for some violations of it. So this is a very important law that needs to stay in existence. Uh, The people responsible for the misuse of guns are like actual criminals, not the people who make guns for a market that's over 99% legal. Um, Write your Congressman. Here, here. All right. Thank you, Gray. All right. My... Troop deployment
0: this week is a proposal for COVID Independence Day this March 13th. On March 13th, 2020, President Trump declared COVID 19 a national emergency and lockdowns started. In less than two months, it will be the two year anniversary. And I propose that as a date to be done with all this bullshit. Paxlovid, the cure for COVID 19, should be more available by then. Omicron infections are peaking now and should be on the way down to very manageable levels by then. We'll be heading into the spring, which has seen a decrease in the past two years. There shouldn't be any concerns about overwhelming medical capacity. And without that, the last excuse is gone. Vaccinated and boosted people have very little to fear from this virus. Children have almost nothing to fear. There has to come a point where we decide that we've sacrificed enough for the sake of especially vulnerable people. It's been clear for months that COVID is not going to be eradicated. We have to reach a point where we collectively decide that we're not willing to engage in temporary measures anymore. COVID-19 is permanent, so we need a permanent response. And I propose March 13th as a convenient shelling point for making that decision. So what's a good permanent response? For one, no more masks. If you want to wear one, fine, but no more social pressure on anyone else to do so. Seeing each other's faces is important, and it is especially important for children, so stop making them wear masks. In 2019, we all understood that diseases were out there, and coming into contact with other people meant we might catch one. Let's get that attitude back. Next, no more social distancing. Most of these restrictions have already been lifted, but not all of them, so let's get rid of the last few. And no more Zoom school. This never made sense. while I'm no fan of schools, we seem to have made them even worse with remote learning. If you're going to close the school, close it for real and let the kids play outside, and then never reopen it. We should keep remote work. Not for any virus-related reasons. It's just better than office work. We should also keep the norm where if you're sick, you stay home. It's hard to remember, but before this virus, there was an expectation that you had to be hospital-level sick before missing work. That was always dumb, so let's keep the new norm where if you feel sick, you stay home until you feel better. So March 13th, let's all ditch our masks, go where we want, throw parties, see friends and family, and generally live our lives the way we did in March of 2019. It has to happen at some point, and by then, barring something very unexpected, it will be time. Alright, that's our show. For this week, thanks for listening. Please follow us wherever you follow podcasts. Um, Leave us reviews. Um, Subscribe to us on Substack. You'll get early episodes. You'll get bonus episodes. And you'll get access to our exclusive subscriber-only Discord channel. And come back in two weeks. Same rat time, same rat channel.
2: Thanks for uh, uh, joining us and covering the flank that Inyash's abandonment left exposed, Grey. And I will see you all a fortnight hence. Bye.
0: Bye.